I really like the first reading. I find it very dramatic as it, as it goes on. Uh, with the first part, uh, I did not come to you with persuasive words of wisdom so that your faith would be based on, on human wisdom. And then I say, well, why do I spend so much time preparing my homilies? <laughs> it's t- the more persuasive and wise they are, the worse. He says, I wanted to come uh, to show the power of God. But then the next part, they say, ah, oh, yet we do speak a wisdom to those who are mature. So now let's say, okay, now what, what do we have here? What is this? What is this mature wisdom we're talking about? This I'm interested in. I say, like, read very closely. What eye has not seen and ear has not heard and what has not entered the human heart, what God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven. And I say, oh, heaven is the mature wisdom? That's it? And I say, isn't this so strange that here at the beginning... When, when the doors of heaven are opened up and historical hope first dawns upon humanity for the first time in all of history, this is a new thing. This is wisdom for the mature. Whereas today, everybody assumes that there, everybody takes for granted that there's heaven. Almost everybody, right? No matter what they believe, they'll say, well, life is positive at the end. It's going to end out okay. And yet, it's like pearls before swine. It's a cheap kind of hope, but it doesn't, it doesn't actually move the human heart. It would be as if you had a great love in your life that somehow you saw, but you didn't care. It's like, well, yeah, of course, of course they love me. Like, what of it? Doesn't matter. You know? Whereas a real love, a real recognized love would move, would move a person and say, I want to build my life upon this new love. It's something that changes everything. And in this way, we see that with Christianity, there is a kind of maturity that's necessary. A maturity that must be the, the fruit of an experience. Because if it's only a discourse, it remains on the outside of our heart. It remains just on the surface. And we can repeat, we can repeat certain things that don't actually impact us at the human level. Let's take another example of some kind of high-level uh, Christian wisdom. John of the Cross, most famously known for the dark night of the soul. Yes? Imagine my surprise. Maybe you had this too. The first time I ever read the poem on the dark night of the soul. Right? Because you imagine the dark night of the soul, right? Crisis of faith. Suffering. Just no consolation in your heart. Just emptiness and void. And you read the poem, and what's the poem about? The poem is about a lover who calls the beloved to get up at night, sneak out of his room through his window, and go out into the woods to rendezvous with the lover. That's what the poem is about. <laughs> that is the dark night of the soul, okay? And then the rest of it is a commentary on this poem. So you say, you're talking about a, a love rendezvous is the dark night of the soul. What could this mean? But this is the whole thing. So the dark night of the soul as a purification of the senses to arrive at a contemplation of God, which is all to say we cannot remain at the surface level of reality if we're going to enter into an intimate relationship with God. Because at the surface level, all of reality is a lie. Because whatever is ephemeral, whatever dies is a lie. It goes away, it's a lie. And so if we remain at the surface, 
all, all of life is a, is a total betrayal. And so the purification we're called to go through of the senses in this way is to not remain at the surface, but to go deeper, to see deeper. This is a kind of mysticism that, that uh, all Christians are capable of and are called to, because without this, we couldn't recognize the good presence of Christ here. We couldn't even accept the Eucharist or any of the sacraments or any of this kind of high-level stuff. We would, we would flatten out the world and accept just a materialistic view of everything. Meanwhile, the truth is that God wants to be with us through the signs that he gives us in the flesh, through the people he gives us. This is also the only way of making sense of the gospel, where the one who has met and fallen in love with Christ, the gospel is like, well, yeah, of course, this is the only way. Because if I put anybody else over Christ, well, they're going to die. And then I could never have them. There's no true love. You know, the most, I don't want to say obnoxious. It is terrible, though. Family first. If you put family first, everything's already lost. We We can't accept even things that seem positive coming from the culture. We can't accept these things without being critical about what they mean for us. That without a recognition of Christ and the family and our friends and our work and everything when we live in reality, then everything, everything simply dies and slips between our fingers. And thank God we're given this feast of John of the Cross and this time of Advent to do this work, to get to the bottom of reality, to discover Christ risen and present here among us. Amen.